post-grad school and one of my coworkers at the time had asked, you know, just to check in on me and ask, you know, are you contributing to the 401k? It's a dollar for dollar match up to 6%. And all I could think about was how that would reduce my take-home pay and how I didn't think that that was a smart thing to do because I'm 23 and what is retirement? Um, but he literally forced me because he said, Jen, this is free money that you are not doing anything with. My husband and I are very much in sync. And I think that's probably been my saving grace with the way that I approach money now. And we're both very much, you know, about the freedom to do what we want, when we want, how we want. But I'm very grateful for the fact that it hasn't always been that way. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 268. Just a Shout out to our Australian and I guess all of our listeners there kind of in the South Pacific. Just got back from a, a trip visiting Australia and New Zealand and got beautiful countries. Definitely gained a new perspective, uh, especially those that live in and around some of the big cities, Auckland and Sydney, uh, in particular in Brisbane. Did not visit Melbourne, uh, but uh, did did make it up to Cairns. So great trip definitely gained a new perspective i know we've got quite a few listeners in in those parts of the world and uh we'll definitely probably respond to your questions and emails with a, a different eye different lens than maybe we did before lots going on in the financial markets so to speak we had a ridiculous rally and market's been all over with the elections last week it still seems like we're we're kind of at a too close to call all the way whether it's going to go one party or the other at this point uh, in the Senate and the House, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how their markets respond there. And then, we've had quite the quite the uh, upheaval in the crypto markets as well. And in fact, it's somewhat sad to see uh, some of the things taking place there with some of the companies. So, we'll be interesting to see and watch that unfold and see how that might play into the bigger picture. And uh, I may have to bring on some of these guests that we've had that I've had you know, pretty significant crypto holdings and or, you know, thinking that crypto is is the next hot thing and see what their take and perspective is. I do have an email uh, that we did get from one of them and I'll probably read that uh, in the coming weeks. So on today's episode, we have Jen. She's 38, married with no kids, lives in the Northeast. She works in HR and has lived all over the country and all over the world uh, growing up that way. She has a net worth of 1.35 million, 800K of that's in 401Ks, and 250 of that is actually in Roth. She had brokerage around 230K, 30K in HSA, and a little over 100K in cash. Last week, we had Brandy's electrician does motivational speaking after having a workplace accident. Is a net worth of around 2.6 million, 900K of that's in rental property, and the other 380K is in a primary residence. And he's got about another million and some change in four hundred or in a four hundred one k. So great episodes uh, last week with Brandon. This week with with Jen, uh, we get into all sorts of discussion with with her her journey of being pretty significantly in debt and not really having a plan 
to really flipping a 180 in how she thinks about money and how she manages money with her husband now. So without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Jen. Jennifer, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, so um, I'm Jen. I work in HR. I'm 30 eight years old, married, no kids, um, living in the Northeast for about eight years now, but relocated um, several to, from several locations and also grew up in a couple different countries as well. So pretty diverse background in terms of how I ended up in this, in this area. So awesome. And what is your net worth today? It is 1.35 million. Great. And how is that broken up? So a good over 80% is in retirement accounts. We have about just under 800,000 in 401ks. 250 of that are in Roth accounts. Um, And then we have a brokerage that is about 230, about 17, 18% of our overall net worth. My husband has a pension that's uh, about $10,000. We have 30,000 in an HSA, and we're also sitting on about $110,000 in cash. So quite the, the diversification, at least between retirement accounts, brokerage, cash, et cetera. How much of the money in retirement accounts is invested in you know, stocks and you know, mutual funds, i.e. I, I equities? Most of it, we just do target date funds with the 401k, so pretty basic and simple, um, just target date. Interesting. So, in fact, Clark, I don't know that we've actually discussed target date funds on on the podcast. So, (laughs) you do have a little bit of bond allocation in some of those target date funds, especially, I guess, probably being in, in your late 30s. Is it probably about 80 20 right now or 70 30? I would think so. Um, so I, I, I'm pretty hands off when it comes to that, um, literally just to make it easier for myself too. So that's usually how my husband might be a little bit more sophisticated in his allocation. Uh, but for me, that's typically how I've managed the 401k side of things. And then I'll have him check and just make sure we're rebalanced accordingly. So you've always done the target date funds then? Yes. And was that mainly just to be somewhat hands off? 100%. I have not been very involved in the financial realm and especially in my finances. I've had a lot of debt in the past that I've had to overcome um, and just really bad habits when it comes to spending. Um, And I know that as I've gotten a lot better at this and taken a a much more um, invested approach in money and savings and and all of this, I'm a little bit more um, aware of where our money goes. But when it comes to 401k, I'm I'm pretty hands off. um, And I just want to make sure we're doing the right thing and letting the market do what it needs to do. And the plan is to continue with the target date funds? I believe so until until uh, we might discuss other uh, elsewhere, but for the most part, that's what we're doing. Gotcha. So the money that's in the brokerage account, how do you invest that? So majority, about I would say 40, 50% are in ETFs. We're in Charles Schwab. So just basically, I think 40% of that, uh, 50% is sitting in the total stock market. We have about 5% in small cap investments, like an ETF, and then two percent in emerging markets and then we have 45 percent 46 percent that sits in mutual funds again total stock market um, is about 45 percent of that 46 percent and then two percent is in the schwab international index fund 
and then my husband does have some individual stocks. Um, Three percent is what our portfolio mix is, and he invests in, um, or we do, three individual stocks um, predominantly in the cannabis industry. Is that more for fun, or is that more for taking a shot at the the cannabis industry, or what's the thought process there? I, I think it's a mix of both, for sure. I think there's some thought that this um, is going to uh, do well, but then also it's it's such a small part of our portfolio that there's not that much risk if you know the bet that we're making uh, doesn't pan out. Mm-hmm. And what do you use to manage your brokerage account? Which which brokerage house? Uh, Charles Schwab. And do the cannabis stocks is in there as well? Correct. Okay. So, Jennifer, I mean, investing in target date funds. You've done this in a fairly short amount of time, given that you you've shared with us a little bit before we started that, that you've come from a background of spending and getting out of debt. How did this all start and, and how did you become a millionaire so quickly? Oh, man. So I, I would say growing up, you know, my my dad, um, both my parents were entrepreneurs kind of later in life. They my both both my parents worked, had really good jobs and education was hammered in our family from the from the beginning and you know i remember my dad would say things to us like if you want to have a house like this or have cars like this you have to have a good major you have to have great uh grades you have to get a good job you know and just really hounding on education equals success but i never really um understood what that really meant after graduating um i went to Uh, I graduated with a sociology degree, not really knowing what I wanted to do with that. I worked in retail for a year and then went to grad school for HR. And quite frankly, I picked HR because I literally couldn't figure out what job I wanted to do. So I thought, I'll just help other people try to figure out their careers and recruit them into jobs. And um, it ended up working out whereby I just ended up falling into that function and and really finding my niche there. Um, And over time, I even though I had been making a pretty good income post grad school and working, I really had no concept of savings and retirement. I was, you know, 23 years old post grad school. And one of my coworkers at the time had asked, you know, just to check in on me and ask, you know, are you contributing to the 401k? It's a dollar for dollar match up to 6%. And all I could think about was how that would reduce my take home pay and how I didn't think that that was a smart thing to do because I'm 23 and what is retirement? Um, But he literally forced me because he said, Jen, this is free money that you are not doing anything with. And that's what started the kind of investing journey. But that also started me not really knowing what I was doing when it came to um, 401k and investing, which is why, you know, my approach was just I'll have somebody else tell me what to do and just sit it there, sit it in the account and forget it. Um, And I left that position three years in um, with $30,000 in my 401k. And I rolled that over into a Roth. And and I just opened Charles Schwab, no real um, 
purpose for that. Um, they might have even been the fund manager. I, I don't even remember at the time, but I picked them. Um, and I remember the financial advisor asking me, you know, are you conservative? Are you aggressive? You think your income will go up as you age? And I was like, yeah, I think my income will will go up from here, but I'm I'm pretty conservative. I don't really know how this works. I don't understand any of this. And so he put me in a really conservative fund. And I, and it, when I look back, 23, I met my husband at 30, 31. And when we started, you know, looking at each other's, you know, finances and whatnot, and he was like, this money has literally grown by $2,000 <laughs> in the course of seven years. And he rebalanced that into something more aggressive. And I remember in two, three years, I was sitting at like 90,000. And I was like, oh my goodness, this I've been doing it all wrong. <laughs> I had no idea just, um, you know, how it, it feels, it felt, especially at the time, very intimidating, very overwhelming. And, and from that time and having someone else to be able to bounce off, you know, ideas around how to think about money and, 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 and how it can work for you. Um, I really didn't start getting into that on literally until I met my husband eight years ago. Uh, I have been really, really conservative and not just trying to put money away and not thinking about it. Interesting. So where did, where did he have an understanding of this and a background from, you know, in finance and whatnot? Yeah, so he studied finance in undergrad. He worked for a major bank doing, you know, analytics, like I said, and um, and I think he he had had just a, a pretty general good understanding of finance, and so it was helpful for me and for for us to really be accountable and really honest with one another in terms of just, you know, how we approach money, um, what our thoughts are around savings and spending. And, you know, he's definitely more of a, not a spender. And I think I absolutely in the past had much more of a consumerism mindset and for nothing that I can show for it whatsoever besides a closet full of clothes and shoes. Like it was absolutely ridiculous. And I think, you know, after getting myself into some pretty bad consumer debt, plus he had student loan debt from going to a um, private uh, Catholic college. So together, you know, we were sitting, when we started tracking our finances, which was shortly after we got married, I mean, we did it before, but we didn't put things to paper until uh, shortly after we got married in 16, um, and we were sitting at $140,000 in debt. And most, 50% of that, if not more, was just me and consumer, consumer debt and a little bit of student loans. It was really, really bad. And we just had to really have a come to Jesus moment, if you will, and just talk through. And he, the way he framed it to me, which was what just kind of set me straight, he was like, you're on the path to being bankrupt. Like, that's just how it's going to work. You will be bankrupt. And I was like, I can't make this kind of income and be bankrupt. It's ridiculous. And so that's when we started to track all of our expenses and our spending. And, you know, I, I did things that I would never recommend, but for the situation that we were in, I had to take a loan against my 401k, but we were also really aggressive in how we paid that back too. But it, it took us probably a year and a half or so of um, really aggressive tracking our spending and and putting money towards all of our debt before we got out of debt. Um, and, you know, for him and for both of us uh, too, not having 
that loom over you, especially if something were to happen with our jobs or just the freedom of knowing that you don't owe anyone money and you can actually invest in yourselves and your future was just, that was the golden star that I was just looking for and waiting to, to happen. And over the years, as you look back, it's it's just so it's amazing to have the money that you were putting towards consumer or student loans just go directly into your pocket. Did you turn off the investing when you were paying off the debt? We we know we started maxing out. We weren't neither one of us were maxing out our retirement accounts. I was doing the minimum just to get the company match. I think he was probably doing a similar approach. And so we did start with max out. 401ks, number one, start uh, opening, we opened up an IRA, joint IRA and a Roth. And so um, we maxed that out each 6,000 a year um, and then pay down debt. So that was the approach that we took. And basically just scaled back the spending like crazy. Correct. Yep. <laughs> it was very hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, can, I can imagine. Example, when we got, when we were engaged, that's we also realized we we can't have a wedding that we think that we want to have there i i could not bring myself to spend the cheapest especially in the philadelphia area that i could make a wedding happen would be like 30 to 35 thousand dollars and we didn't have it we didn't have it and i said nope we're going to to have a really small 30 person wedding. We did it in a restaurant in the backyard and it was amazing. It was just a dinner with family and a few friends and it cost us six grand cash. And I have no regrets. Of course, I wish other family members could have made it, but for us in the financial situation we were in, I would have hated myself if I looked back at pictures and, and on that moment, knowing that all of that was a facade because we paid for something that we literally didn't have the money to pay for at that time. Some stuff that we made, yeah. Yeah, interesting. So was there a particular moment or event that caused you to have this conversation, this come to Jesus moment to, to shift your thinking and mindset and desires? Yeah, my husband was very, very concerned, right? He had about 60,000, 65,000 still left, you know, of student loans. He graduated in 2007, right? We met in um, the end of 14. So seven years post-college, he's still sitting on a substantial amount of debt that he was paying off. I was on a 10-year plan um, straight out from, from undergrad and, you know, really proud to be in my early 30s and be done with my student loan debt. But putting 500 a month, which is what I was doing to that, when I had consumer debt with interest rates substantially higher, right? I, it didn't even make sense to me to, you know, reallocate the way I was paying off debt. I just was so focused on student loan, get rid of that and not thinking through my credit card. So our strategies were so different. He was very patient and just really educating me on how we should really think through tackling this and why mathematically, he's just very straightforward, my approach isn't working and hadn't been working. Um, and, you know, he's he's very uh, detailed and has spreadsheets and all of that. So he built, you know, a, a whole like amortization schedule. <laughs> And, and an approach around like what we need to do, how and when. And I just, I put it in his hands. I trusted him and we were both committed to getting out of debt. Neither one of us felt good about the situation that we were in. And it was definitely that moment of 
you know, both of us feeling like we would not be able to get out of it if we were continuing on the path we were on, especially knowing that we made um, pretty decent salaries. It was just not sustainable. So it's pretty remarkable, though. Basically, in five years, you went from negative 140 to a millionaire. Is that correct? That is correct. So walk us through that. How do you make a 1.3, call it, flip in five years? Yeah, so I definitely, you know, think that we were, are um, lucky in the sense that we do have very um, good paying jobs. And over the course of the years, for me particular, I have always felt that, you know, at some point you either need to, you know, decrease your spending um, or you increase your top line. And for me, I felt more control um, once we started to get a handle on, you know, what we were paying and how we were tackling this, that to increase my income was something that was more in my control than trying to figure out how to cut corners with spending because we were living pretty, we had really low expenses. We've always been renting. And we've been lucky we didn't have cars because we lived in the city. So we didn't have a lot of expenses. But at the same time, being able to really tackle the debt came from higher paying jobs on both of our ends and then some bonuses that we would get that we would put um, straight towards the debt. Um, and over the years, that's really how we were able to to tackle it. So dedication in terms of the spending, but I, I can't lie, we've I've taken roles that have increased my income as well significantly in the recent years. Um, and that's helped us become more aggressive in how we um, start to invest. And, you know, we didn't open up a brokerage account until probably January of 2019. Um, we put $8,000 in that account and we're sitting at, you know, 230000 So it's nice to just know that once the debt is gone and you do the right thing by maxing out your retirement accounts, your Roth accounts, you know, if you have any leftover, you invest in yourself and you put that in the market. Have you loosened up on the spending now that you've kind of made the flip and you've got the money working for you more so than, than, you know, the, what it was before? No, I am, uh, I'm so anti-consumerism as much as I can. It's so crazy. I don't, I'm not, I, I wouldn't say we're frugal. We, we, we like to go on vacations. We, we do enjoy going international for trips and staying in nice hotels. But my husband does the credit card game. We use points for all our trips. We, for our flights, we use miles, right? And so we're not frivolous when it comes to those types of experiences and spending. Um, It's very thoughtful. It's very deliberate in what we do. And I will do because I have a really bad habit and history of spending, I'll make challenges with myself and, you know, do a no spend month, for example, just to reset my ability to not keep buying things on Amazon or whatever the case may be is. So it's a very conscious effort for me. And I really enjoy not feeling the need to acquire and accumulate um, material things. I, I just don't have a desire for that anymore at all. So it's it's been a nice turnaround, I think, mentally for me as well to not feel like I'm beholden and um, my spending is out of control and I don't know how and why. And now I know where every dollar goes. We track all of our expenses. We don't budget, but we track uh, on a monthly basis our spending. And it's just the awareness and knowing where your money is going is, um, I, I'll keep doing this indefinitely. <laughs> yeah. So 
you said it's basically was all consumer and you said shoes, clothes, you had student loans in there as well. Was I mean, $70,000 and it's very typical, right, for an American spend probably. Were there any other items that you were spending a lot of money on? No, because I no, I had, like I said, no car. My student loan debt wasn't that large, but it, it was it was majority consumerism, credit card debt. And that included anything from going out to restaurants to buying Correct. items to and just, if I see it, I buy it. it. Yep, exactly. And um, going out with friends, not being able to say no, participating in a really expensive gym, <laughs> traveling, just, uh, you know, living the life that I felt. I always lived alone too. I never had roommates to share rent with. I lived in, you know, pretty expensive um, cities. And so, you know, that always came at a cost. And I, there were just certain choices that I wanted to make thinking that I could get myself out of it. But I, I never did. I always got myself back into debt for some reason because I was never disciplined about budgeting or tracking expenses and knowing where my money is going. And if and if you know anyone, sometimes nobody wants to look at that because it's hard and it's scary and you just don't want to deal with it. But you know, especially being in a relationship and if you and your partner are not on the same page, I don't know what I would do. It's been a blessing just to have someone be on the same page when it comes to money, how to manage it, how to spend it, how not to spend it. My husband and I are very much in sync. And I think that's probably been my saving grace with the way that I approach money now. And we're both very much, you know, about the freedom to do what we want, when we want, how we want. But I'm very grateful for the fact that it hasn't always been that way. And I, I just won't put ourselves or our family in a situation where we're not conscious around how we spend and what we spend it on. Yeah. Do you think you were pretty happy though back then when you had the debt and you were, you know, spending totally. on consumerism? Completely. Yeah. In denial, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because even sometimes, you know, you look around, well, I'll just speak for myself, right? And it's like, oh, people have this or that. And then I'm like, well, but like, what's in your bank account? How much do you have in retirement? Like, how are you allocated? Like, I'm actually, my mind immediately shifts to how much do you have saved? And and what flexibility do you or do I have to be able to say, you know what, I don't want to work anymore. I'm not beholden to my job because I did the work in my 30s and in my 40s to get myself to a spot where I can take a sabbatical or just up and leave or start a, you know, a business if that's something that, you know, I'm desiring. So that type of flexibility is really what drives me more than anything. Um, but sometimes, yeah, it is, it is, you look and you, you, you question whether or not, you know, are we making the, the right choices in terms of some of the decisions that we've made over the years. But I, I, the position that we're in now, I would have never fathomed it whatsoever. So I'm, I'm so grateful for not being able to, you know, try to keep up with any of the Joneses because I'm pretty proud of the way that we've been aggressive and able to to put money away. And that's just kind of our thought process. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we, we, we talked to so many of these millionaires and we discuss happiness. And I think it's been even more of a hot topic lately as people have, you know, we've gone through this pandemic to some degree. I mean, obviously we're still dealing with some of the, the repercussions of it and whatnot, but, you know, people have really reevaluated their lives and the things that they're involved in. And mm-hmm. to some degree, like, you know, you tell us, hey, I was happy, or at least at the time I, mean, I was in denial or whatever. But at the same time, like, I mean, there was a level of happiness 
that you had in participating in some of the consumerism, right? And that happiness now has shifted and it's completely opposite for you. But I, exactly. you know, I bet you, you're still pretty happy now, right? It's just a different type of happiness and there's different things that make you happy now. So it's, it's interesting to see that shift specifically with you and this, with your story that all that's taken place within like, call it five, six years, right? Yeah. Yep. So it's definitely more contentment for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that that can switch like that, right? Especially in such a short amount of time. I want to ask, what was it like growing up in the household you grew up versus the household that your husband grew up as it relates to money? And how did that factor into the, to what you two merged in your plan, you know, going forward? Oh, I love this question. This, this is a really great question. So it's so fascinating. We're, we grew up, I would say, complete opposites. So I came from what I think on the surface you would consider pretty well-to-do. Um, my parents uh, both went to college and grad school. They paid for me to go to school, less you know, the student loans that I was left with afterwards. They helped me buy my first car. I didn't work while I was in college. My parents were very, again, focused on education and, you know, and grades. And, and I felt like we, we had. Meanwhile, with my husband's family, he grew up in upstate New York. His parents didn't go to college. And so him and um, his brother were the first in their family to, to go. And, you know, at the time, well, let me back up too. So even when I was thinking about schools, my dad was the one who laid out the college plan. These are the schools you're going to apply to. Here's how you should think about your personal statement and just very, very hands-on and how to get into the college game and how to make sure that we were on track. And, you know, with my husband, I think for him, it was just important to leave the town and just experience something new. And initially wasn't really thinking about, you know, the cost of school, just going to a good school, not close to the hometown. But neither one of our families, I believe, really talked about money at all. I do think um, if I'm, you know, being really transparent, you know, his parents, you know, did the best they could, but it was very much like a, I would say, trying to keep up. And, you know, they were involved in a lot of sports and they, you know, and they, they tried their best to give really meaningful experience to their kids, but no one really talked about money. My husband has also shared, you know, instances where his uh, father may have lost his job and, and, and what that was like kind of on the household. And, and that was something that, you know, I haven't really experienced. Um, and so some of that instability, I know for him makes the thought of having debt and not having a buffer and, you know, money for a rainy day really front and center. And I think, you know, when we met and uh, meanwhile, right, I'm more of, at the time I was at least living for the moment, living for the day, my parents always bailed me out if I had issues. And so the concept of discipline for me was lost on me because I always felt like I had a safety net. And so getting together, I think making sure that for us, we're taking care of ourselves and we're not able to rely on anyone, be it our jobs, our our families, right, that we can take care of ourselves was really important um, to both of us and to him especially. And, and that's what really set the tone for me to just get my life in order. And and it was, I, I was all about it. And I think having those disparate backgrounds and yet being able to have the same goal is is a really beautiful thing. Yeah, it's interesting how, how that's shaped 
you and then where the two of you have gone together. So at this point, Jennifer, where do you go from here? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, there are a couple of things that I think about, you know, I, I feel like we're really, really heavily leveraged on the traditional 401k. So I, I'm not going to lie, get nervous, you know, that, um, that's going to grow at an amount where the money that you end up paying on taxes um, is going to be pretty de detrimental. So part of me is just thinking through how do we start to get more money in Roth accounts. So that's one of the strategies that are that's important to me as we continue to go on. Our brokerage account is definitely another area that you know I'm looking forward to seeing grow over time. And then on the short term, we are looking to hopefully start a family um, and buy a house. And that's why we're sitting on a lot of cash. So we're save some cash for the down payment and, and home stuff. So, so that's kind of the short term, really just making sure that the strategies around our retirement accounts um, make sense because, you know, a good 85% of it is, um, well, I would say maybe 40% 40 40 of the overall 980 that we have is just sitting in a traditional, which I always get a little worried about because <laughs> you never know what the future is going to be but with tax rates and all of that. But What's the plan going to be for, for getting more into the Roth? So what we've done, and uh, and just because of my, I, I just I, I'm so interested in this in this area, and just talking about just strategies with my husband now, it's hilarious that he's like you always listen to financial podcasts, and I do. I just I'm fascinated by this, and I and I work in compensation in HR, and so I actually get geeked out a little bit with when it comes to tax strategies and retirement. So I do think it's important for him to start. Um, putting more money in Roth uh, 401k accounts. But he also, you know, thinks it's important that we try to minimize our tax um, liability as well. So we, we don't really, we're not on the same page with that strategy, but at least, you know, we're starting the, the moving the needle on more Roth accounts. Um, and then, um, yeah, that's really what it is. We're going to continue to max out, continue to try to funnel more money into after-tax accounts. You have plans for early retirement at all? Oh, my husband does. I don't. I mean, maybe in my early 60s, but he's very much on this 55 plan. <laughs> <laughs> and he's barely 36. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a 20 year plan then? He has 100%. He's ready to be done. <laughs> so we'll see. Well, Jennifer, I want to wrap up with some rapid fire questions and we'll get into final words of advice. What's the most expensive meal out that you've paid for? About $500 between the two of us. Okay. What's been the most expensive vacation or experience that you've paid for and where did you go or what did you do? Oh, the most expensive. Well, that's going to be tough because I'm not, usually I just, I know what they would be if we paid money for them, but usually there's a mix of points in cash. <laughs> uh, so I, $25,000 was, when was that, Dubai? trying to think we've also done some european trips that were obnoxious but again points and uh that was mainly how we paid for it but i would say about twenty five thousand dollars if retail yeah <laughs> yeah one the most expensive why, why do you say it's obnoxious the, the european ones you've done um the hotel they're just so lavish like these are like thousand dollar a night you know five star you know ritz regis type 
hotels. So there's just a lot of opulence, but it's just, it's fascinating. And it's, and it's amazing to know that, you know, you walk in and you're like, thank you for being a Hyatt, whatever member, or, you know what I mean? And it's, um, and I'm like, people actually pay cash for this or the same thing with flying first or business class. It's like people would actually spend $4,000 on an airplane ticket. Like who does? <laughs> that's just, I can't conceptualize that, but you know, my husband is really, really diligent about the points game. And he has, again, his spreadsheets and he tells me which card I need to use to make sure we get the points. <laughs> and I just oblige and we're able to uh, fund our vacations that way. And travel is super important to us. So is that what's most worth spending the money for you? Yes, I think so. What's on the bucket list you haven't been to yet? Oh, the bucket list, what I would say would probably be what ended up getting canceled because of the pandemic. We were supposed to go to Japan and um, and that in May of 2020. <laughs> so that um, was uh, disappointing. And then a few European trips that we just haven't yet explored. But um, Europe's always close enough by. It's just those long haul flights, you know, that as we get older and, it, it, you know, if we start a family too, that makes it a bit more harder to to be able to take on. But uh, Japan is going to be, I think, a really cool trip. And do you always use the points to fly first class or business class? We do. I, I you know, again, I'll, I'll just say it, but I just don't think I could, I could do economy anymore on mm. a long haul flight. Don't get me wrong. If I'm, yeah, you know, once you go, once you go there, it's hard to go back. <laughs> good stuff what's the most expensive car you've ever purchased the car that we have today um so we moved out of the city into the suburbs and i just kind of let my husband have it for his um birthday gift but um we have an audi s q5 was that the dream car I don't know if it was a dream. I, my husband, he's into cars a little bit. I knew we needed um, a midsize SUV and he was very adamant that it needed to drive like a car and have a great engine. So I said, all right, you just pick what you need. And next thing you know, we get the top of the line. It's like a $70,000 car, which again, I think is ridiculous, but we have no kids. We have no debt, right? Our car actually has gone up in value, which is insane um so it's it's a fun three-year lease and um you know again one of those things that for us very affordable in terms of when we think about our total spending and our you know overall budget have you always leased cars my husband has yes um i i owned a honda civic in college and that's the last time i had a car okay. <laughs> until what, a year ago <laughs> what's been the range of uh, household income Oh, so when we both met, started dating and um, were engaged, I think we were combined sitting at about maybe 220 or so. And now bonuses um, were about 550. Awesome. Great incomes. Okay, Jennifer, just to wrap up, what would be your last word of advice to give to somebody who's just starting out and is trying to get on their journey to financial freedom? Oh, I would say just take it one day at a time and just continue to make baby steps into getting out of debt. I mean, that is to me the most important thing that anyone can do, um, you know, depending on how someone is saving into retirement. That's just one of those key things, too, that the growth is just exponential the earlier you start. I, I didn't start until I was in my 30s. So I, I really lost out on a lot of compounding interest, you know, could have, would have, should have. 
but starting where we were and where we are now and knowing that you're in this for the long haul, I just tell anyone not to be discouraged um, and to just continue to tackle the debt and invest in yourself as much as you can. So one day at a time. One more quick question. What what has been your household spending maybe, you know, 10 years ago? And then what is it at today? Oh, well, I never checked my spending 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I was spending probably more than I spend now. That's gosh, probably I would say maybe seven, eight years ago when we were first starting out. Oh gosh, I'm I'm gonna just speculate. Maybe it was about like five thousand a month or so. But again, we you know we weren't the greatest at tracking that. But now on a uh, being pretty disciplined, we spend and uh, also spending more than we need to just because we're less. Uh, we're not as frugal because we don't have to be, and we like experiences. We're probably hovering uh, anywhere between nine and ten thousand a month. Okay, how come? How come you've chosen to rent versus buy? Yeah, we we've both not been in cities that we feel are long-term for us. So my husband uh, relocated to the Philadelphia area for me. I was also thinking about relocating to where he was located at the time. Um, I, Philly had never really, it was not intended to be long-term and it still isn't. Um, and I think having low expenses is has been one of the key successes to our journey because we don't have money tied up in a mortgage and home expenses. And it's allowed us to be able to funnel money to a brokerage, to uh, I have an ESPP as well. I forgot about that. It's about 10,000. So just little things that allow us more flexibility. And like I said, we're, we're saving a lot of money in cash to own a home. And so that would obviously drastically affect our overall net worth. But in the meantime, the flexibility that renting has provided us, as well as the low expenses on our rent, has just been key in allowing us to, to, to save money. And are you going to buy a house in cash? Uh, no, 20% in cash. Just 20%? No way. Okay. <laughs> awesome, Jennifer. Net worth of $1.3 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.